Welcome to Tone Deaf, a theater nerd's guide for their musically challenged spouse. I'm Kay, a musical theater nerd. And I'm Warren. I'm musically <laughs> challenged. Oh, man, I need to, like, write into my scripts, Warren does a thing. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, if you, if you try to uh, mandate my nonsensicalness, that's when I'll just be like, and I'm Warren, I'm musically challenged. And you'll be like, well, there goes my plan. <laughs> so, are you ready, Warren? Yes. Are you sure you're ready? No, I'm having second thoughts. Are you ready to see an extant early black movie musical starring Bojangles, James Basket, you be... Your blank stare lets me know you don't know any of these names. <laughs> uh, isn't Bojangles a fried chicken restaurant in southern states? <laughs> I mean, yes, but... And a basket is what you carry fried chicken in? Oh. Or is that a bucket? Diet's not treating us well, is it? What gave it away? The fact that... Now you're making me want Popeyes, and this episode isn't sponsored by Popeyes, so... But, there, but there's no Popeye in this. No, but if we I... don't have a Bojangles in Utah. It's true. If I could do a Popeye impersonation, I would, but I can't. If we had a Bojangles in Utah, we'd be going there, but we don't. Probably, mostly because I want to try it. Yeah, so... Anyway, we're not talking... <laughs> oh my gosh, okay, so... Backing up. So, um... We're going to cover just a little bit of this era this year for a couple of reasons. A, a lot of the shows are lost or are never performed. B, there aren't as many resources as, as I would like about them currently. And C, the month is almost over and I really don't want to attempt any more 1Ks. I am tired. I don't blame you. You've done a lot of them and you've done... Very good job every time. Thank you. I am it's, just, I am way too tired to be doing any it, more of It's those. not like your quality in 1K performances has waned at all. If mm. anything, it's only waxed. <laughs> Why, thank you. But I I will, I, I, I can't do any more of them this year. I just can't. I'm too tired. So instead, I'm going to lead up to our show by talking about the stars of the film that we're going to be watching and just sort of touch on uh, what they had been doing. We're going to be covering all three of these people more in depth later. Okay. This is just sort of a broad, these folks were in it. This is a little bit of their history and so on. So first off, we're going to start with UB Blake, who this dude. I be, I be Warren. I not be Blake. Oh. UBK. I be Warren. God. Okay, who's this Blake? Do I need to know something? Do you need to tell me something? Uh, <laughs> oh boy. It was if it was if it was as if the groans of thousands of black thespians cried out in and just general jazz lovers, man. Especially when I tell you some of the stuff that he's done, and then you're going to be going, ah! So, that, that sounds about right. <laughs> so, uh, UB Blank, he was amazing. So, he was born February 7th, 1887 in Baltimore, Maryland. Uh, UB Blake got his start in music early, playing the pump organ. Warren, no. For his church. <laughs> I see your little grin. <laughs> 
Meanwhile, wow, that hurt my throat trying to hold that in. <laughs> wow. It's like trying not to laugh in church because you're worried God's going to strike you down. <laughs> so. <laughs> okay. Please tell me, what is the pump organ? It's just a type of organ that you would, like, use your feet and stuff, like, to play. To uh, or, pump air. Like, or, is organ like a church organ? Yes. Okay. It's a type of organ. It's like a church so, organ. So it's like a big elaborate piano thing. Yes, it is a big elaborate piano thing. Okay. So, <laughs> I see a new shirt coming out. <laughs> <laughs> It's like when I asked our friend Cookie about cellos, I was like, isn't that like the big violin? And he was just like, yes, it's like the big violin, you idiot. So, his, his mother and father were both former slaves, and Yubi was the only one of his siblings to survive into adulthood. His date of birth is a little disputed, because for his whole life, he purported his date of birth to be February 7th, 1883, but after his death, five days after his supposed 100th birthday, records from censuses started to appear showing he was born in 1887, not 1883, putting his death at his 96th birthday. Still, he lived a long time. Also, he's a Banff. He's a legend of music, so he was born February 7th, 1883. Okay. <laughs> In my heart. Okay. So... Blake's parents had bought him this organ uh, for $75, making 25-cent payments on it every week after Baby Blake had wandered into a music store and immediately took to the organ. The owner actually told his mother, The child is a genius! It would be criminal to deprive him of the chance to make music of such sublime, God-given talent. Well, and of course, you know, when you're saying $75 organ and they made 25-cent payments, I'm like... That was an expensive thing. That was a very expensive thing at that time. So, um, at 15, he was playing at a bordello secretly. And by 1907, boxer Joe Gans was like, You, I need you to play at this first black and tan club in Baltimore, which was at his Goldfield Hotel. So, from 1907 to 1914, Yubi was playing at the Goldfield every winter while playing in the summer in Atlantic City. Cool. I don't want to go into a huge tangent because we have a lot to cover for this episode, but you might recognize some of Yubi's music because he had... He and his long-term music writing partner had written quite a few recognizable tunes. tunes. Uh, his music partner was Noble Sissel. They wrote together... I'm just wild about Harry. Harry's wild about me. Maybe. From Looney Tunes, every so often they would play that. Okay, the tune the tune sounded okay. The tune sounded more familiar, but I was sitting here thinking I don't know if I'm familiar with the lyrics. Oh, okay. okay. Um, and that's from another musical review that good. Gracious, I want to cover it. It is called Shuffle Along, and if anyone, anyone, has a performance of it somewhere, please send it to tonedefmusical at gmail.com. I want to cover Shuffle Along. So commands the K. So commands the K. So now we're going to move on to our next person, uh, James Basket. James Basket was... 
was born February 16th, 1904 in Indianapolis, Indiana. He's going to be the youngest of the ones we're going to talk about today. And he did not always want to be an actor and a singer. He actually wanted to be a pharmacist, but money was an issue. You're going to see that that's kind of a theme with our black thespians of the early era. Well, we had that with the, uh, crap, I can't remember his name, who wanted to be an engineer, but he couldn't. Yeah, yeah. And that that happens with so many of them where it's like, oh, I want to be a pharmacist. Nope. You know, I want to be a singer or I want to be an engineer. Nope. I want to be. Yeah. It's so amazing, though, because they're so multifaceted, talented Mm -hmm. and brilliant. Because you got to be. You gotta be. It's it's like, you know, when I was in school, I had to be good at science, I had to be good at art, I had to be good at writing, I had to be, I had to basically, like, be a straight-A student just to feel like I was competing and feel like I had any worth. It, it sucks, but we're not gonna talk about that today. <laughs> Alright, so, um... He and James Baskin ended up moving to New York and partnering up with Bill Bojangles Robinson, who we're going to talk about in a moment. James went as Jimmy Basket during this time and performed in Hot Chocolates with Louis Armstrong in 1929. This was a uh, musical review. And he was also part of the New York era of film, where you're going to see a lot of no longer extant black films being produced, including the one we're seeing tonight, which is Harlem is Heaven. So, he ends up moving to L.A., and he was a bit player in most films. Uh, One of the ones that we should look up is Revenge of the Zombies from 1943. He was also one of the crows in Dumbo. Uh, He played Fats Crow, and he performed as uh, lawyer Gabby Gibson on the Amos and Andy show. These are not his most famous roles, and people who are listening are probably going, Kay, are you going to talk about it? Yes, I'm going to talk about it, because we're eventually going to cover it. Just not this, not right now. These were not his most famous roles. His most famous, I'm going to sing the smallest amount as possible so that we don't get sued. Zippity-doo-dah, zippity-yay. My, oh my, what a wonderful day. I am familiar with that one. Yes, he was Uncle Remus. Oh, he was. He yes. didn't just write it. He was the, the he actor. He was the actor who played Uncle Remus in Song of the South, and he would actually earn an honorary Oscar, making him the first black man to win an Oscar. Nice. We will cover this show later. Now, was this just because black people couldn't win Oscars yes. at the time? Yes. They, uh, yeah. It, racism. That's, he uh... couldn't even go to the premiere of the movie <sighs> when it went to Atlanta. Double face palm on part of Warren. Yeah. Yeah. So it, we'll cover this movie later because it's part of history. Got to cover it. Also, movie musical. Got to cover it. But it's it's one of those ones where if you had if I had to choose between watching Birth of a Nation and Song of the South again, I would pick Song of the South. But it is still very very problematic. But it has animated parts and it has good catchy songs and. I hope it doesn't have the KKK. No, no KKK in that one. But it's still... See, it's already got three three points for it. I don't know if it's in any versions that we would be able to see, but there used to be a scene with the Tar Baby. So... That was an animated part, wasn't it? Yeah. See, and I, I never saw yeah, Song of the South. I've only seen, was... like, snippets. I have, I have watched the whole thing. I know that you actually really like Song well, of the South. Well, I... So, 
it's more of a from a historical perspective that that I'm like, okay, I feel like this needs to be shared. It's like with the Looney Tunes things where I'm like, instead of hiding from what y'all did, get out in front get of it. out in front of it and go, hey, this was wrong, but we did it. Let's own up to this crap. And for the sake of posterity, we yes. want to still have it exist. Because, like, it, it, it's one of those things where I feel like if you're claiming that you never were this bad, that's worse than saying, yes, we did this, well, cause you're but it was wrong. Yeah, you're gaslighting. Come out and say, yes, we did this thing. It was terrible. We aren't doing it anymore. I mean, Disney kind of is. I could go on a whole tangent about how evil Disney is because it's not just Song of the South. Careful, Kay. The mouse will grab you and you'll end up in the happy Disney dungeon. <sighs> I've already been in the happy Disney dungeon once. I don't want to go back. <laughs> I can't go back to Disney jail. I can't go back to Disney jail. <laughs> anyway, that probably peaked. We'll see how much of this gets left in. Ha <laughs> I've come for you, Kay. <laughs> hey, Kay. I'm going to come and take you. Take you back to Disney jail. Ha <laughs> ha. On to Mr. Bojangles. Who we're going to be covering a lot because he was in a lot. We are going to be revisiting him throughout the years because he, uh, yeah. So hopefully my brain cells will absorb information then. He will be one that you will probably absorb information on the quickest. Okay. Because he, he was did the most prevalent. And he did some spectacular things that no one else was doing. So just a brief history of Bojangles. He was born May 25th, 1878 in Richmond, Virginia. Uh, he was born as Luther Robinson. Later, he became Bill Bojangles Robinson, and we'll talk about that in a moment. He was the child of Maxwell and Maria Robinson, who died in 1884 to heart disease and unknown natural causes, respectively. Luther and his brother William were taken in by their grandmother, Bedelia, who was a former slave. Luther allegedly hated his name, so he switched with his brother. Huh. I'm not kidding. Luther, formerly William, later went on to call himself Percy and got his own career in music. But now we're going to go back to Luther William Bojangles Robinson. <laughs> so I'm lost, but continue. Formerly Luther, now William. All right, so... Uh, like I said, we're going to be returning to him a lot throughout our journey through theater because Bojangles was in a lot and was a first in many fields. He was one of the first black entertainers to not perform in blackface while in minstrel shows, and this was during a period of time when he was a pick, meaning one of the pickaninnies that would come on stage and tell jokes and sing at the edge of the stage and just be generally cute little precocious kid, but also minstrel show, so still not great. <laughs> Exploiting small children. Um, and he would also uh, perform, like, dancing for pennies, busking and stuff. And uh, when he went into vaudeville, he started out as part of a duo, which was the only way that a black performer could perform in vaudeville, because black solo acts weren't allowed, until Bojangles, that is. 
because after his duo split up, he ended up being picked up by manager Marty Forkins, who increased his earnings and created a story that Bojangles had always been a solo act, which made it possible for him to smash through that barrier and become the first black solo artist in vaudeville. Nice. And we'll talk about that in more depth when we cover him more later. Uh, he was most famous, however, for his tap dancing, which you will see in this movie. And he was called the father of tapology because of how how he revolutionized the style. Tapology. Yes. See, he was light-footed but percussive, and he danced more on his toes rather than, like, dropping his heels. And I am seeing a little bit of a glazed look, so he tap danced good. He tap danced good. He tap danced good. He had fancy feet. He had fancy feet. In fact... He was so good, he possibly invented a type of tap dancing, which would be a stair dance. This is what it sounds like. You're tap dancing up and down stairs. You're going to see this in this movie. I have seen that before. You probably saw him doing it with Shirley Temple and okay. the little colonel. Okay, maybe that's who it was, because I swear I saw it with a white guy, but I Yeah. Don't. No, Bojangles most likely invented it. Okay. Um, and you're gonna see him doing a doing the stair dance in this movie, and oh my gosh, it's so cool! Oh my gosh, I wish I wish I could do that, but n my body would probably like start to fall to pieces, and there'd be a leg here and a knee there and an ankle off to the side, and it would just it would look like the skeleton dance when the skeletons all split apart. Sorry, Disney, that's two mentions today. I should stop. All right, so. <laughs> hey, they control 40% of the entertainment market. It's that's impossible true. not to that's, reference them. Uh, <laughs> okay. Ha <laughs> ha, Monopoly. <laughs> I'm going to own everything. Ha <laughs> ha. Anyway, so on Broadway, Robinson was known for performing in reviews like Blackbirds of 1928. Seriously, if I had a time machine where we could sit and observe, we would go watch this right now. Um, as well as other Broadway shows like The Hot Mikado, which was a jazz interpretation of Gilbert and Sullivan's The Mikado. Ooh. Again, time machine. Ooh, okay, The Hot Mikado. Yeah. Uh. <laughs> I love when I do things that makes I can see in Kay's eyes where she's just thinking about when we were getting married and she's like, why didn't I just say I don't? No, you're cute and you make me laugh. And other things that I love about you <laughs> that I don't want to say on this episode that's supposed to be aimed at all audiences. <laughs> I love you. So we'll cover more of Bill later because we'll be coming back to him with other shows. But for now, let's hop into the movie we're watching. Woo! So Harlem is Heaven is a pre-code movie musical. Pre-code meaning before the Hayes Code came in. Hayes Code was the one that was like made everything super strict, that, right? Yes, that was when uh, a Republican, Hayes, decided to be everybody's dad. <laughs> with movies and not everyone's fun dad yeah and we're gonna find we'll find a way to do an episode just about the Hayes code one of these days because this ties into so many movie musicals and it dictated what could be done in movies yeah yeah 
And we'll talk about the history of it and all that because Fatty Arbuckle features into it and so do a bunch of other things. Anyway, that will be a not-for-everybody episode. All right, so... A lot of the rest of the cast were performers from the Cotton Club, which was a Harlem jazz club that all three of our men were, we've just covered, wow, um, were featured in. Now, the Cotton Club was a all-black club. They named it... What? We'll cover it again later. Just, just, (laughs) why, why would you name yourself, why would you name your club after something that was... I should have I should have looked up the history of this club to write that in because I should have anticipated you would ask, but I didn't. <laughs> um, but suffice it to say, it was like a super famous jazz club that was not only around during Jim Crow, but also Prohibition in New York. And it was in Harlem. It was for like where a lot of black entertainers got their starts. Um yeah, and I think they actually reference it in Looney Tunes as well. But I'm trying to remember for sure if they do. Um, anyway, uh, fun fact. This show had a tentative review number, which was 02816, pending the production company's adherence to the Hayes office demands regarding specific changes in the strict or script. Like I said, right before the Hayes Code kicked in. It came out May 27th, 1932 at the Harlem Renaissance Theater. This show's pretty harmless nowadays, but I can see why uh might have had a little bit of a... Well, I don't know if that's a good movie for all us good Christian folks to see. Blah, blah, Why? Blah, Did blah, it blah. show black people being like human beings instead of and, being subservient types? Well, and there's there's a lot of subplots with like gambling and one of the characters at first gets mistaken for a prostitute. There is sexuality displayed on screen. Not like, it's not like a... It's not pornographic or anything, and it's definitely not like anything that we would see today in a PG-13 movie. It's just... Is it like rustling under sheets type of thing? It's like like a guy making out in the office with a secretary and stuff like that, which isn't okay if they're not married in Hayes Code movies, whereas now we wouldn't bat an eyelash at it. Hayes Code was the reason that, like, uh, married couples had to sleep in yes. separate beds. And yes. Stuff. On TV. On TV, yes. And why you couldn't have, like, pregnancy mentioned in things, and you couldn't... Why, uh, it was it was a big proponent of the whole gays have to die by the end of a movie. <laughs> oh. Or lesbians have to die, which is unfortunately still a trope, and I could probably go into an angry rant about those, but I'm not gonna, because gotta stay on task. Okay, so while this movie was, it like it states that it was copywritten in 1932, it never actually was registered, according to TCM and the American Film Institute. So that means it's a public domain then? Technically. Hmm. Um, I don't know for sure though. I, I would say that treat it like it's not in public domain. Error on the side of caution. Error on the side of caution. Uh, So this film was filmed in a week. 
Oh, wow. With a budget of 50K. Actually, just under 50K. Which, so. I mean, when was it filmed again? 1932. I mean, 50K was a lot of money. Yeah, that was a lot of money then, back then, but it was considered extremely low budget still. So Filmed in a week. Yeah. It was filmed at the Ideal Studios as well as several theaters, including the Ideal Theater and the RKO Theater. And there's only one, count them, one white actor with a speaking role, and he is uncredited. <laughs> Any other white actors are extras, and the entire main cast is black. That's that's actually yes. pretty cool, because I, yes. lo- I love that, um, the inverting of what was the social norm. Yeah, and next year, I want to kind of go more into this era, but because we're getting to the near to the end of the month, and I am starting to run out of steam, and will not <laughs> be doing three episodes a week next year... Um, I don't want to spend too much time doing that, especially with what I want to do next episode. Um, but I can't find much on the director and screenwriter of this, who was Erwin R. Franklin. And in fact, one of the things that came up when I was searching for him online was an anesthesia book (laughs) that I'm pretty sure was not written by the same Erwin R. Franklin. No relation. Uh, joining UB Blake and his orchestra, we have music provided by Shelton Brooks, who, don't worry about it, we'll probably listen to some of his music later, because I was looking through it, and I'm like, Warren won't recognize that one, he won't recognize that one, he won't recognize that one, eh. Um, <laughs> you Edgar know me Dor- so well. <laughs> Edgar Dorwell, Porter Grenier, and Joe Jordan. At the time, this movie seemed to be pretty successful. It earned $4,000 in its opening week in 1932 money and having an extended run at the Harlem Renaissance Theater because of that. Uh, Variety recommended the film to both black and white audiences, which is probably why it's still extant, even if it's in poor quality. And so I'll tell you this excerpt from their article, which can be read online on archive.org. Harlem is heaven has one strong point in its favor. It's different. One theory the public is clamoring for anything that varies the steadiness of their film diet. Theaters are now generally welcoming anything off the beaten track. This inexpensively made talker, how, uh, let's see, this inexpensively made talker with an all-colored cast might fit the bill. It goes on to say that the show does indeed suffer a few pacing issues, but that it's still enjoyable and can hold the audience's interest and is like, white theaters need to run this as well. Cool. In 2011, World Cinema Review revisited the film, and it opened with Franklin's all-black 1932 movie Harlem is Heaven is a disaster of storing and acting with an absolutely (laughs) remarkable cast, nonetheless, of musicians and dancers, including Bill Bojangles Robinson and UB Blake and his orchestra. Robinson is the center of this piece and does numerous numbers throughout, all of them brilliant, but the best of... Of mo- but the best of most famous dance, the step dance, stands out as one of his most memorable dances of all time. So yeah, this is not going to be the best movie, but it's historically significant, so that's why we're watching it, courtesy of Real Black, who has a lot of historic black films and documentaries on YouTube. This is not a paid ad, I just like them. No, and it's I think it's fair to mention them. Yeah. So, are you ready for our first actual proper movie musical of this season i'm real ready (laughs) oh god let's go (laughs) 
Hey, Warren. Hey, Kay. Do you know what time it is? Is it time to thank our favorite people in the whole world? Heck yeah. Today, we would like to thank our stage crew sponsor, Jasmine Wu, and our producer circle sponsors, Bianucci, Reagan, and Taylor Brandt. Thank you all so much for your support of our show. We truly appreciate it. Today, I want to talk about an awesome movie podcast called Home Video Hustle. These guys had me cracking up so hard with their Star Wars Christmas special episode. That was the one that I started on, because whenever I see anything to do with that, I just am like, okay, what do these folks have to say about it? Oh my gosh, y'all. Home Video Hustle is amazing. I love these guys. They are so funny. They just, they make me smile. And I recommend that you check them out on your favorite podcatcher. There is some strong language in their show, so this is definitely geared more towards us older audience members rather than our younger listeners. Anyway, I hope that you guys enjoy their show. Please check them out. And now, the lights are going down and the music's starting back up, so let's head back to the second act of our show. All right, baby, was this a hot mess or was this a delightful romp? Um, both and somewhere <laughs> in between. This was really, it's so funny because it, it, this is actually kind of, uh, this is great because we're getting, we're getting back more into like our, our normal mm -hmm. kind of uh, motif of, of doing shows. So much of, of Black History Month has been uh, you doing... 99% of the work <laughs> and me trying not to curse about racism. <laughs> I'm so glad that we can do it this way now again. <laughs> and so it was just funny doing this because I'm like, oh, that's right. This is what it's like for me to actually be a part of our show and like <laughs> do stuff rather than just react to, to things. Not that I'm like, don't mean to poo-poo mm. yeah, no, everything no. you've been doing, but... I felt like useless most of this month. Like I've just been this receptacle for all this pain. <laughs> the pain bin. <laughs> the pain bin. So. I forgot to mention too for our listeners, this was Bojangles first film role ever. And he was 54 when doing this. Yeah. Holy crap. 50. Like I'm looking at him and I'm like, yeah, he looks like he's maybe late 20s, early 30s. Yeah. Nope. 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 Add 20 years to that. Yeah. And, I mean, not a wrinkle on the man's face. Mm -mm. Like, but uh, That's what you've got to look forward to with me. I know. I know I do. I, I chose that. Gonna be ID'd. Right. Till the end of time. I, like, I want to make sure that I marry somebody who's gonna be pretty for a long time. <laughs> then I'm gonna hit like 80 and it's just gonna be... Just all catch up at once. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it'll, it'll be like, uh, crap, what's his name? Seeing the, the portrait of himself. Uh, crap, what's his name? Dorian uh, Gray. Yes, Dorian Gray. Yes. And just aging instantly. <laughs> it'll and be Kay like. disappeared into dust. <laughs> it'll be like the scene in, uh. <laughs> it'll be like the scene in, uh, uh. Oh, you did the Thanos snap. Yes, I did. It'll be like the scene in, uh, Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade. <laughs> you chose. Holy. Holy. <laughs> okay, okay, anyway. <laughs> Harlem is heaven. The opening scrawl basically says that uppity white people look down on black people even though they occupy the same city. The city, New York City, has a special tree. A tree that 
helps unemployed actors find work, or so the legend says. <laughs> the Tree of Hope answers the calls of those who beg for its blessings. A poor, out-of-work woman is begging the tree for work and asks a local man passing by how long she must wait for the magic tree to bless her for work. The man says that the tree is just as likely to curse you as it is to bless you, since he spent a week praying to the tree, and when he returned to his apartment, the entire building had burnt to the ground. This happens <laughs> in the movie. Be, this, be this, aware of praying to nature spirits, for they are older than men. opens. It's true. A local law officer sees the woman talking to the passerby and mistakes her for a lady of the night, as is commonplace, I think, maybe, <laughs> I don't know. The cop attempts to arrest the woman for her nighttime activities, but she protests, and the Tree of Hope hears her cries and manifests a crowd to come to her defense and ridicule the cop for trying to arrest this poor woman who is only wishing for work. A fancy man sees the incident and looks, and the look on his face is apparent. This lady is pretty. I'll save the day. He swoops in and tells the woman that he is the prophet of the Tree of Hope and is here to offer her a job. The woman thanks the magic tree for making her wish come true. This happens <laughs> in the show. This is a completely accurate recounting on part of Warren. This is not Warren making stuff up. Taking some liberties, yes. Uh, Not many. <laughs> we then see the fancy man the next day as he uh, oogles his secretary in his office and we get a long look at her legs. He proceeds to drop, I do that in quotes, a quarter on the ground, only so he can reach down and uh, be closer to those legs. Uh, the secretary hops to her feet in a in a startled fright, and the fancy boss man then pulls her into his lap for some good old-fashioned workplace face-touching. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that peaked. <laughs> we should have you turn a little bit closer, too. Okay. <laughs> the fancy man, uh... The fancy man's uh, other secretary, secretary man, manservant, personal assistant, I don't know, butler, comes in <laughs> to say that <laughs> stage the... Stage manager. Stage manager. Thank you, Kay. The stage manager comes in to say that the woman from the Tree of Hope is here to claim her promised job and fulfill her destiny. The fancy, kinda sleazy man then tells his secretaries to leave and bring in his new potential workplace HR incident. <laughs> Kay now informs me that the fancy man, the fancy harassing man, is named Remus Money Johnson. I think money is a nickname, and the woman... I think money is a nickname. <laughs> Who names their kid money? <laughs> anyway. The same type who names them Noel, spelled L-M-N-O... Or L... What was it? Uh, J-K... M-N-O-P. No L. Yeah. <laughs> we are living in the bad timeline. Uh, the woman, the woman who's wishing at the uh, Tree of Hope, her name is Jean Stratton. Uh, the name sounds more legit, so I'm inclined to believe that one. <laughs> Anyways, 
Money is telling Mr. Money is telling Gene that he's he's a tough man and he carries a lot of weight here in Harlem. He creeps on Gene a bit, not so subtly implies that uh, quid pro quo may be a common part of working for him. Cool, cool, cool. Cool bosses are cool, except when they harass their female employees for very obvious innuendos. And then, as a sidebar, uh, Money Johnson is played by James Basket, credited as Jimmy Basket in this, and then we have... And he was the organ guy, right? The organ player? Or was that... That's U.B. Blake. That's U.B. Blake. U.B. Blake was the uh, conductor of the orchestra for the... uh, For his club and everything. Okay, okay. Um... No, James Basket was Uncle Remus in Song of the South. Okay, okay, okay. Yes. Okay. And, Man, very uh, different roles. Yes, very different roles. Because he's a sleazy, not good guy in Range. This. Yeah, you know, no, to be fair. Uh, to, to be, be fair. fair. <laughs> Mr. Money brings Jean down to the showroom and introduces her to the choreographer, who knows exactly what's going on and not so subtly calls Mr. Money out on his shady ways. We cut to that night. Oh, so this show's pacing is probably the worst I've ever seen ever in anything ever, period. And I'm sitting here going, is this the final cut? It does not feel like it. It feels like this is the, it feels like this is the, um, like they had filmed everything and then they took all of the scenes and just kind of splice them together without ever doing like a final yeah because like it it feels like there's stuff missing it feels like there's transitional (laughs) scenes missing yeah because it jumps around so dang much especially the last two scenes yeah it like this but yeah so when i'm saying like it cuts to this it cuts to that that like it it does it does there is no transitioning really like there's a couple of times where it goes to black not fades goes to black yeah so anyway after gene meets the choreographer and all that uh we cut to the night and gene is leaving accompanied by two men william and chummy who are interested in her, and then try to get her to come back to their place. And William is Bill Robinson. Yeah. A.K.A. Mr. Bojangles. Mr. Bojangles. Uh, the next morning, yeah, because exactly, she's like, they're like, hey, come back to our place. And she's like, okay, let's go pick up my bag. I left it at the candy shop because Harlem, I guess. Uh, <laughs> and then it just immediately cuts to the next morning. <laughs> uh, Mr. Money calls in uh, Jean's friend Chummy the big brother type, and tells him to his face, don't make any moves on Jean, because I own that girl. She's my personal property. Chummy is a naive, sweet idiot. (laughs) Yeah. He he also, you can tell very obviously, especially in this interaction where he gets called into Mr. Money's office, uh, that he is scared of him. Oh, yes. Because Mr. Money is very obviously, like, a gangster type, uh, has shady endeavors, threatens people's lives. For what happens to Money, or for what happens to Chummy later, Chummy is a naive, sweet little idiot. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Well, we'll get to that. Yeah. So, uh, (laughs) after Mr. Money tells Chummy that he owns Gene and not to have any thoughts of romancing her uh i think money talks like too much i don't like him he's a jerk face he's a jerky jerk face which is not what i want to say but (laughs) Kay wants me to keep my cursing from you know 
this educational show <laughs> for educational purposes. I could probably come up with some pretty creative educational curse, but I won't. Uh, anyways, Jean's other male suitor, William, I'm going to call him Bill for the rest of the show, Bojangles. is in her dressing room just chilling out, and Jean gives him a kiss on the cheek. Bill leaves the room in a love daze and runs into Chummy, telling him about the kiss and exclaiming that Gene loves him. Chummy congratulates Bill on his schoolboy romance crush, forgetting to say anything about Mr. Money's manifest destiny desire for Gene, because Money is the gangster type and has already threatened to mess up Chummy's face if he doesn't do what he tells him to do. Uh, next, we see Gene on stage. Like, literally, it goes from that hallway scene talking to him to just boom, like dancing yeah, scene. Yeah, yeah. So, next we see Gene on stage with a bunch of other women doing a showgirl tap dance number. Like a chorus line yeah, type yeah, thing. Yeah, chorus almost. line. Thank you. I, the, the, the specific name eluded mm -hmm. me, and I knew that you would. And I even have it in here. I'm not entirely sure what it's called. And then I have K? Question marks. So. Which, this is kind of a uh, nod to what... Jean Stratton's actress, which her name is Anise Boyer, uh, would do at the Cotton Club because she was one of the chorus girls there. Oh, okay. So, like, everyone who's a lead had something to do with the Cotton Club. So, so. basically, like, everybody at the Cotton Club was like, hey, let's make a movie. Pretty, <laughs> like, uh, yeah, pretty much. Pretty much, like. Hey, there, you know, there's a lot worse things to do than make a movie with your friends. Yeah, yeah. So. Hey. And that's the thing is that while, like, the story in this isn't bad, it's a pretty straightforward kind mm -hmm. of uh, romance showbiz story. Like, yeah. the story itself isn't bad. The pacing is definitely bad. Yes. Um, the pacing is really bad. And that could be on part of them being amateur filmmakers. Mm -hmm. Like And like we said before, for all we know, this isn't even the final cut. So, I mean, filmed in a week. Yeah, filmed. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> filmed in a week. I wonder how long editing took. Anyway, anyway, that's neither here nor there. Anyways, editing film is a pain in the butt. <laughs> <laughs> editing in general is a pain in the butt because that's where the perfectionist, well, except for this film, that's where anybody <laughs> That's when anybody with perfectionist qualities is like, "No, this doesn't sound right. No, this doesn't look right. Let's tweak this. Let's tweak this. Let's tweak this." Oh. Uh, anyway, <laughs> You saw how long I spent editing the Warren at Wards. <laughs> Anyways, I've said that 15 times, and I even have it in my note right here. Anyways, <laughs> after the ladies' dance scene, Greta, the secretary from the earlier scene, who was face-melding with Mr. Money, <laughs> gives him a friendly money call, saying that she misses him, and the two have not face-melded in over a week. Mr. Money is like, I'm busy with this new girl. I'm putting the moves on. And Secretary Greta straight up quid pro quos him saying, hey, you come over here and touch your face to mine or I'm going to tell the district attorney about your shady money deals, Mr. Money. <laughs> to which Mr. Money is like, okay, okay, I'll come over and touch faces with you in a, like an hour. And hangs up. The two seem to the two seem like a very stable and mutually respectful couple. I predict they'll go very far in life together. <laughs> Meanwhile, Bill is dancing with the ladies on stage, showing them more fancy dancy feet moves. And dang, that tap that tap dancing is tip toppity tappity tappity dappity slappity fandappity. Cool. Rhyming is hard. 
After Bill's fancy feet lessons, we cut to that night's performance, which Bill appears to be like... Wait, oh, sorry, sorry. We, after Bill's fancy feet lessons, we cut to that night's performance, which appears to be like a wedding scene. Kay and I were both confused. Yeah. It, like I said, they just cut right to it. They're in the middle of dancing on stage, and there's like a, a archway in the back and flowers everywhere, and people are in dresses and tuxes, so we're like, is this a wedding? I think part of it, too, is because all of them had so much experience in doing reviews, like musical reviews, that there's not really a plot in musical reviews and things just sort of go one right after the other. So, sure, maybe. I mean, I mean uh, you we'll, know I, we'll cover those later, but... You know, I filmed in a week. Filmed in a week. I almost feel like that the conversation for this was just like, hey, we have all these costumes in the back of the Cotton Club. Let's just film random scenes and then... I mean, interject it, a story in between. Because, cause like, all the all the performance scenes are definitely a... It, it, they're definitely musical review style things like you would see at a club like the Cotton Club, but I don't know how that really reflects to the rest of the movie's pacing, but maybe that influences... I don't know. I, I don't know. know. A lot of this is just a big shrug. You kind of just have to accept it for what it is. Yes. And to the movie's credit, the... The musical scenes, like, the dancing and everything is all really good. The yes, music it is. is good in it, too. I mean, you know, we do we do joke with it about how the show is a bit disjointed. Mm -hmm. But, you know, it is worth a watch, and it is entertaining. Absolutely. I mean, so that's the thing. And uh, it only it was only about an hour. I was actually surprised yeah. how short it was um, when I had to have you pause at one of the points so I could type notes because, mm -hmm. holy crap, does this thing go do-do-do-do-do and just jump. Um, yep. <laughs> we were already at, like, the halfway point, and I was like, oh, dang. Anyway, <laughs> at this wedding scene, methinks, everyone is shaking their groove thing and tap dancing like the pros that they are. They get tired just watching, I get tired just watching these talented people. They close out their dance number with a cakewalk, which I remember even if Kay had pointed out to me. <laughs> Not my fault, musically challenged. And danceably challenged. And dance, I'm, I'm just challenged all around <laughs> like unless the topic is like video games or cartoons you know i'm maybe random movie trivia i, I don't know uh my 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 wheelhouse is uh not specific and quite random and entirely useless so <laughs> after the wedding scene performance Jean is in her dressing room and starts to undress with Chummy in the room. Chummy is being a gentleman and not looking, back facing her, because he's a bro after all. Jean changes into her evening gown and sees Chummy having a sad face. She inquires why he's got a sad face, and Chummy divulges that she needs to leave. She's in danger of Mr. Money and his desires for Jean. Jean is like, I will not leave, and Chummy is like, girl, he's got his bad eye on you, and if you don't leave, bad things are gonna happen. Jean scoffs at Chummy's protective words of fleeing advice, and instead is like, I'm no weakling, I can deal with Mr. Money myself. And she rushes out of her dressing room to go confront Mr. Money in his office, totally blowing past Bill, like just mm -hmm. blows past him, and Bill's just kind of standing there like, Okay, that just happened. Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, okay, yeah, goes rushing off to confront Mr. Money. Uh, and she rushes out of her dressing room. 
Mr. Money is in his office, and he offers Jean a drink, and she refuses, saying that she doesn't drink. But Mr. Money is like, I get what I want, and he pulls Jean into his lap. Uh -huh. Jean, Jean fights the best that a woman in this time period can, but she's saved by Bill, who rushes into the office to be the hero that he is. Bill and Mr. Money have an epic fight in Money's office, while Jean screams like the distressed Jean screams like the distressed damsel that she is. Bill is victorious, knocking Mr. Money unconscious. Bill leaves Mr. Money's office with Jean, and the two flee the scene. Turns out, beating up your boss, even if he is a horrible scumbag, will get you fired. And both Bill and Jean are out on the street. Fretting about what the future holds for the two, they leave the scene, and the pop-up indicates that it's one month later. Yep. One month after Bill beats the money out of Mr. Money, <laughs> Bill's friend Chummy is drinking away his sorrows in the local bar. The scene fades to black and back to Bill and Jean's apartment, where Bill receives a note from Chummy, who says that he is leaving town because he can't take Bill and Jean being together because he loves Jean. I think, I think that's what it was it, trying to communicate. He, yeah, it was, he, he does it vaguely, and that's where Bill's like, you know, it almost, oh, these two stupid kids. It almost sounded like a suicide note, the way it was written. It really Cause, did. Because he was like, I just can't take it. Like, thank you for what for everything, but I just can't take it. Like, that's yeah. kind of how it was. And it also could be because he felt bad about Gene and Bill losing their jobs, their jobs because of uh, the fight in the office. Uh, it, I don't know. It, that's the thing is, it's not specific. I we're, don't know. We're left to wonder and assume yes. kind of is is how it is uh but yay classic love triangle square thing because if you include mr money then it's square i don't we know. ain't including mr money triangle then and really, <laughs> the strongest it's, geometric shape <laughs> it's a triangle until bill starts realizing that uh gene also had a thing for chummy and chummy has a thing for gene and then he's just kind of being like are these two stupid kids going to realize it yet? The Are love, they going to realize it yet? Especially when you realize, like when you were telling me that uh, uh, Bill Bill Robinson, his actor is in his 50s when he's yeah, doing this. Yeah. And Jean, then again, I don't know, she's black too. It's like she could be... <laughs> She could, be, she could be older, too, and like still I, look like she's in her 20s. I think she was... Chummy definitely looked like he was younger. Yeah, Chummy was ch Chummy was younger. I cannot find anything on Chummy's age. Okay. Um but, but uh Anise, Anise Boyer, she was born in 1914. So she'd be in her So 32 is yeah. this film. So she yeah. would have been in her uh see <laughs> 1914, 24. So not so she wouldn't even been 20. Yeah. She would have been like 19 uh no, she would have been 18. Yeah, so she was a she was young doing this. Yeah, so, so. she wow. Ooh, that, creepy, Bill. Um, <laughs> bad, Bill. I mean... <laughs> Bill, you're old enough to be your dad, like, and then some. Ooh. Anyways. Well, and, and the way that their relationship is, like, she still is also treating Bill like, because she mentions to both of them that the, she yeah. sees them as both well, big brothers. Like, at the beginning, after she first gets introduced to the choreographer and stuff, and when they're both like, hey, come back to our place, like, she mentions, oh, you'll look out for me, like brothers, and they both have this look like, 
Yeah. We brothers. just got brother zone. Yeah, we just got we just got friend zoned basically. <laughs> no, worse, brother zone. Brother zone. Brother oh. zoned is worse. Oh, I, you know, I've been I've, I remember telling you. Yes, I got brother zoned. You got brother zoned. I had a crush on a girl, and she says, mm -hmm. "Ah, Warren, I love you like a brother." And I was just, we were just walking home, and you just feel that it's like an anime where like they do like that that zing and lightning bolt oh. flashes, and you just see the internal monologue and like. As a bi as a bi person, I've been sibling zoned a couple of times by both gender, by yeah, yeah, yeah there you by go. both both men and women. I've I've been uh... K and I's uh, uh, adolescent trauma tra romance trauma aside. <laughs> anyways, basically, I was saying that. Uh, the relationship with Bill and Jean is a little ambiguous because it's not really... No, it's ambiguous with both of them. Yeah, it's not really romantic, at least from Jean's point of view, with either of them. I mean, he did save her from being assaulted. Yeah. And they obviously were living together. So it's like, it's... and it, But that's the thing, is like, so much of this is uh, poorly paced yes. and poorly yes. written that we are thinking about it way too much in my yes. opinion we're trying to like piece together these shards so i think part of my issue is that i'm sitting here the whole time going this needs to get revived i had the same thought this needs to get revived i had the same thought like this yeah this totally this... somebody please do this and this would be one of the rare times where i truly enjoy a jukebox musical yeah do a ub blake jukebox musical for harlem is heaven expand it like fix some of the uh weird things in it some of the weird continuity choices yeah um but yeah no look this this actually because it's mm -hmm. it is a pretty classic story it's like a story of showbiz you have you know mm -hmm. a shady boss who does shady things and is harassing yeah i mean that's the thing is that uh uh um Mr. Money in this is basically a Harvey Weinstein. Yeah. That's what yeah. he is. He's, you know, a shady person in power who's taking advantage of women who want to get into the industry. Yes. You know? I would watch a revival of this over seeing 42nd Street again. Just saying. If we're talking about, like, showbiz shows. So, Anyways. you have not seen that one yet. Yes, anyways. <laughs> Subpar romance plot aside, it appears <laughs> that Bill and Jean didn't have trouble getting work after being fired by Mr. Money. Bill then goes on stage to perform his step tap dance, and it's quite impressive. I'm watching him, and all I can think is, if it was me attempting to do this, I would just fall on my face in a crumpled pile of failure on the floor. <laughs> Good job, Bill. Your fa your fancy feet are the fanciest. Fa your fancy feet are the fanciest, danciest feet of all. I I love that dance because yeah, like, it was very impressive. Just going up and down those he, stairs. And... He had he demonstrated very precise muscle control mm -hmm. and exquisite balance because it's this uh, the way the set was is it was like I want to say it was like five steps up. And then one step and then five steps down. So it was like yes. an A shape. Yeah. And uh, he would, you know, go up and down and just go backwards, forward. Like he, he was, it was very, very, very impressive. And he was dancing incredibly fast in some parts. Yes. And I'm just sitting here watching going, I am so uncoordinated. I would 
I would break my neck, you know, three feet off the ground. Yeah. Like, his feet move so fast that sometimes you can't see the individual steps, but you're hearing them. But you're hearing them, yeah. And they would be very, very fast clicking. And uh, Kay was telling me that he actually had special shoes for that. Yeah, like, the he had special shoes made for him in Chicago, and I think that he used them for this one, too, because he used these special shoes throughout his career, and they were like a split-toed shoe, if I remember right. Like, it was it was just a special... Split-toed shoe? Uh, what let that me, mean? Let me see if I can pull it up. Um, While Kay is pulling up a split, an image of a split-toed shoe, I will continue reading my note. Bill, victorious after his step performance, goes to the club to chill with his friends. Spider Mason is playing the piano, and Bill is singing about living with love. After the song, Bill finds out from his friends at the club that Chummy has been a drunk at the bar for the entire month. He quit the same time that Mr. Money fired Bill and Gene. Bill brings Chummy back to his place because he is not going to turn away from a friend in need. The next morning, Chummy is hungover on the couch and Gene seems less than thrilled that Chummy is there. Bill tells the two of them to kiss and make up, but the two don't <laughs> quite seem to like that and want to do it. It was, yeah, so much of this is kind of just awkward. It really is. And it's like, it really, like, the, the musical portions are definitely where this show shines and really where... Um, the best enjoyment is is gleaned from it. Yeah. Um, the the story parts and you know not even that the acting was bad, but like the story parts were just very they su were... subpar for what they were. Yeah. And you know, and it's I feel like it's one of those things that it's like sure, fine, like these guys, whatever. Like mm -hmm. even though that 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 it's not a strong suit of this show, the show is still entertaining to watch. Yeah. Did you find a picture of? I did not find a picture of the shoes, but I did find a uh, description of it. So they were split clog shoes, so not split toe. Um, so they were ordinary shoes with a wooden half sole and a raised wooden heel. Uh, the wooden sole was attached from the toe to the ball of the foot and left loose. So, oh, yeah, so, so that left, was where so, the split was. So. Okay, left loose so it could kind of do the clack, 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 Yes. Okay. And so that's why he was able to kind of change his pitch and his rhythm and all of that just with his heels. And yeah. Because he was he, very light on his toes he was when he would dance. Yeah, he was incredibly light on his feet. And um, you could just watch his... His very precise uh, ankle movements yes. and stuff like it, that's the thing is it's one of those things. Uh, uh, like Kay has mentioned before, this is free to watch on YouTube, um, and I and you can even watch just that scene yeah. on YouTube. And I suggest that people do check it out because it is quite impressive. Yes. Anyway. <laughs> uh, okay. Yeah. So. Bill tells Chummy and Gene to kiss and make up, and they're like, nah, we don't want to. The scene transfers to Mr. Money's totally legit office, where apparently he called Chummy in. Like, yeah. that was kind of This is odd... why I said Chummy is a sweet, naive but idiot. It was also just kind of an odd transition. Yeah, it so, really was. But he called Chummy in uh, to be on the ground floor of Mr. Money's totally legit new business adventure, business venture, which I bet is not for laundering shady money at all. Because <laughs> Mr. Money is such a good guy with a big heart, 
And we know this because he tells us. He tells Chummy, I'm just a good guy with a big heart, and I want to do this for you because mm -hmm. I feel like I owe you. Uh, <laughs> Mr. Money is able to dupe Chummy into being the CEO of his new super legit company, and the whole prospect of this company is basically hair straighteners. Yeah. Is what he's talking a about. hair oh, straightening. It'll thing. take the kinks out of black folks' hair and stuff like that, and... And Chummy's like, yeah, there's a million of those things on the market. And he's like, yeah, but this one's different because it's new and... It's mine and, and, it's and mine. you're an idiot. Yeah. <laughs> and I want revenge. <laughs> yeah. Uh, it appears that Mr. Money is setting up Chummy to take the fall as we see the Attorney General talking about Mr. Money's totally legit business and telling one of his men to investigate it. Like, he... he it's like he... Because he's setting Chummy up to fail because mm -hmm. he then, like, turns around to Greta and he's like, hey send this letter. And yeah. so he basically sends a letter to the attorney general to be like, oh, there's something going on with this. And yeah. so the attorney general is... The one white. The one, well, his 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 uh, oh, yeah. subordinate was a white guy, The too. one speaking white. Well, the other guy says, yes, sir. The one white with more than one line. <laughs> there you go. Uh, we cut to Bill's house, and Spider is talking about how he's investing all of his money in Chummy's new business, because Chummy is a chum, a good guy who would never steer him wrong. I felt so bad for Spider. Cut to the next day, when Spider sees a paper shown by a friend that says that Chummy has been arrested for his totally legit company, which turns out to be less than legit. Spider vows revenge on his ch former chum, Chummy, who seems to be less of a chum than previously advertised. Gene goes to visit Chummy in jail, and he tells her the truth, that Mr. Money was the money man behind the less-than-totally-legit company. Gene goes back and talks to Bill, saying, Hey, we've gotta help Chummy. He's been set up by Mr. Money. The two are like, it's time to take matters into our own hands. Some vigilante justice is about to happen. Bill and Jean go to confront Secretary Greta, and Jean is like, you had best come clean or I'm gonna beat the truth out of you. <laughs> the two women have an epic battle in Greta's apartment, and after an awkward yet epic hair tussle, <laughs> hair pulling tussle... The fight choreography in this movie is so bad. <laughs> it really is, because it's great when like you could tell their parts were like, okay, cut, and then, they're, then they resume because it just jumps and like their bodies will have shifted like a full foot. <laughs> It was, it was pretty terrible. Uh, but after, so after the awkward yet epic hair pull tussle, Jean throws water on Greta, and Greta is like, "That's it, I'll talk, I'll talk." What I love though is that she's holding her down at one point, just like, boom, boom, <laughs> yeah, boom. These these very, just... yeah, these very uh, poorly choreographed fight scenes, you know. <laughs> Uh, but what made me laugh was the most, like, because they're both on the ground, and then uh, uh, Jean gets up, and Greta's still on the ground, and she almost had this thing of, like, you good? We good now? Kind of thing. Yeah. But then she, like, walks over, grabs, like, this pitcher, and then walks over and just throws water on her. Yes. And that's when Greta's like, oh, no, I've had enough. You threw water on me. Don't get my hair wet. Like... That was that. That part was just so great. So Jean throws water on Greta, and Greta's like, "That's it. I'll talk. I'll I think talk." It's my favorite scene in the movie. <laughs> and she spills the details about the totally legit business beans. <laughs> <laughs> she spills her business beans. <laughs> 
we cut to Gene and Bill at the Attorney General's office, and he's like, good job, you two. You did what my useless people could not. We'll use this info to take Mr. Money down once and for all. Bill and Gene rescue Chummy from jail, and the happy trio of love triangle friends leave the scene. The scene changes yet again to Spider, who buys a newspaper and sees the headline. Turns out... Chummy is still his chum, and the real villain who duped him out of all of his money was none other than Mr. Money. Spider decides that it's time to collect on his revenge. I aim to collect. Spider goes to confront Mr. Money, who can see the murder in Spider's eyes, and pulls a gun on him as the itsy-bitsy Spider slowly approaches. <laughs> Mr. Money should have invested in a better gun, because it misfires. Click. And Mr. Money, now without his weapon, falls to his knees and begs Spider for mercy. Spider, don't kill me. I have everything to live for. Please, I'll give you your money. Don't kill me. That's basically how, it, how that scene goes. Mm -hmm. Spider is a cold one, though, and pulls a razor from his pocket and Sweeney Todd's Mr. Money. <laughs> but since it's 1932, it cuts away and all we see is Spider putting his unbloodied razor back in his pocket. It doesn't just cut away. It cuts, it smashes to black. You hear this, <laughs> yeah, you hear this, <laughs> like, <laughs> and then it comes back and he's on the opposite he's, side. <laughs> basically, if you were to, okay. I'm I'm gonna uh, I'm gonna try and not do graphic detail. If you were to picture someone with a razor and then they like did the Sweeney Todd thing and then moved to the other side of the person, yes. it was as if they cut out that entire middle scene and yes. he just he had he's in front of Mr. Money with the razor and then he just teleports behind Mr. Money, yes. putting the razor away in his pocket. And the only thing we have in between those that teleporting scene is a yeah, <laughs> so, it was great and. Uh, Okay. Uh, Mr. Money, or sorry, Spider's putting the unbloodied razor back in his pocket before reaching for the bonds and getting his money back. He sits there and counts out his bonds while looking at Mr. Money's body on the floor, puts the bonds in his pocket, and Spider walks out of Mr. Money's murder scene, and the scene changes yet again. The scene changes to Bill's apartment, where the gang of heroes are rejoicing. And apparently Bill has decided that he wants Chubby and Gene to get married. I guess he doesn't love Gene? I thought he did. Does he think Chummy loves Gene more than he does? I don't know. I'm confused. This show is an entertaining, tap dancey mess. The yes, end. it is. So, <laughs> the very end part, like, he... Because he, he has a thing where he's like, this is my, my aunt... Or my grandma, or what was it? He said it was his mammy. Oh, so it was his. Uh, I would I would say probably. I know so either I, his mom or his grandma. Well, I know earlier in the scene they make mention that their apartment building is owned by a mammy. Yes. Kind of thing, and she'll treat you right. She'll treat you like a mom, like, and that's what they're saying to Jean. Yeah, that's a different a different woman, woman. Okay. because this one she came up from Richmond. So, Richmond, Virginia. Yeah. Um. And he, but he makes but Bill makes this comment about like she's always wanted to see me get married or something or yeah. It, it's, it's a really, really rushed and contrived ending where Bill basically is like, "Hey, you two crazy kids, you're gonna get married because I'm off to go perform." Well, he's off to go see his friends. 
who his friend whose wife is having a baby. Oh, that's right. His friend whose wife is having a baby. And then he just kind of throws on his coat and rushes out. And then the scene ends with uh, Jean turning around and basically like putting her arms around Chummy and putting her head on him. And then Chummy puts his arms around her. And the mammy is on the couch looking up at him with a smile. And then the end. The end. And... It, yeah, Kay was, so Kay, I want to gush on Kay a little bit, because Kay was super cute with this whole thing, um, and especially at the end, because you, I wanted to talk with you, but I was like, no, we're getting ready to record, I will wait until we come in here, mm -hmm. but you were just like, the show is a mess, but I love it. <laughs> And it's true. It is a mess, but it's an entertaining mess. It really is. And it's it's significant. It's historically significant. And it's not like when you're having to watch some of these movies that are like total cringe fests that are historically significant. Us <laughs> one. Nation. Yeah. Yeah. I, God, I hate that movie. I hate that movie so much. So much. I'm so glad that I'm no longer in college so that I don't ever have to see it again. <laughs> I had to see it too many times. Yes, you did. I had to see it in AP US history, and then I had to see it a bunch of times in college. I'm done with it. That's what you get for being a film major. <laughs> anyway. Not going to do that again. Next life, no. <laughs> anyway. Next life, I'm getting a useful major. Um. <laughs> Warren's Takeaway. Entertaining show. People should watch it because of its historical relevance, as well as the uh, excellent dance scenes. Mm -hmm. Um... Yeah, I mean, and it, it it's like 57 minutes long, so yeah, yeah it, it's entertaining and it's worth a watch. It should get revived. It really should get revived. It's I think that it, it uh, really could benefit from some extra TLC. Yes, absolutely. I'm glad that you enjoyed it. I did enjoy it. I am I did really enjoy glad. It. Like, that was the thing is like, I, I remember seeing it in the parts that I was kind of like, oh, this is, this is, this is a uh, kind of shoddy, but at the mm -hmm. same time, I'm like, okay. 1932 yes uh 1932 like i feel like i had i had to be gentler with it mm -hmm. um but i'm glad that you are okay with poking oh, fun at oh the, yeah because stuff of it it is a hot mess it is a hot it mess. is a hot mess but it's a fun hot mess instead of just a Oh, it's it's definitely not the worst thing we've ever watched. Oh, for sure. It's you know what? It's better than some movies that we've seen that were more modern. Yes, so. yes, it is. Um, Let me put it this way: I'd rather watch this than Skyline again. <laughs> Kay's eyes rolled so hard you probably all felt it. Ugh, anyway, I hate that movie. So, are you ready for our next one? I don't know. Am I? So I, I had to kind of do a coin toss on this, on which one we were going to do next. And I figured since we already have talked a little bit about Bojangles, we should do a another... to the restaurant and try some of his fantastic chicken? Oh, boy. Folks, I apologize for Warren. <laughs> <laughs> there's... I apologize right now. There's no apologizing for me. <laughs> so... No, but we're we're going to do another one that uh, I really like it because Lena Horne, but this is a jumping forward farther than I had originally intended, but I want to get to this before the end of Black History Month. Okay. So we're going to watch Stormy Weather. 
Should I know what that is? You might have heard me sing the song once or twice, but, uh... Probably. Yeah. Can you break off a tiny piece of that deliciousness? Let's see if I can, because my throat's a little bit froggy after laughing, but, uh... Can't go on. All I had in life is gone. The stormy weather. Maybe. Maybe. Keeps raining all the time. The time. Maybe. Maybe I... Life is bad. Gloom and misery everywhere. Stormy weather. Just can't get my poor self together. Keeps raining all the time. Yeah, that one. It's in that, that's in that song. Aw, you're so cute. You're so cute. So yeah, next next uh, episode, we're going to do stormy weather. And then because I am so tired and I used to like be a student teacher and stuff, we're going to do a quiz hey. for our last Black History oh. Month episode. Oh, no. Oh, <laughs> Don't no. worry. It'll probably be a cahoot. <laughs> I'll say even then, multiple... We'll, we'll see. We'll see. As long as if I fail, you don't divorce me, then oh, we're okay. Oh, no, no. If anything, I'll just be like, oh, sweetie, okay, we'll do another lesson next year. <laughs> you have to take the class again next year, sweetie. So will next year be remedial Black History Month? For me? <laughs> <laughs> oh, gosh. K face palmed. Thank you all so much for listening to our show today. We hope you enjoyed it and it wasn't too wacky or uh, otherwise. Just the the right amount of wacky. Just the right amount of wacky. If you enjoyed this show, please feel free to leave a review on Podchaser or iTunes slash Apple Podcasts, that purple icon. Yep. It just helps us out a lot, and if you want to connect with KRI on any of the social media thingies, you can find links to all of that on our website, ToneDeafMusical.com, yes. as well as a link to the Cast Junkie Discord server where we have a channel, and feel free to pop in, say hi, talk about musical theater, or make fun of me and my lack of knowledge on said musical <laughs> theater. Our channel is rated not safe for work because I'm inappropriate, but hopefully <laughs> funny and entertaining. And uh, if you want to go above and beyond you can donate to our patreon or our coffee coffee i almost said coffee you can donate to our coffee uh both of those are tone deaf musical with our patreon if you donate at certain levels you get shout outs in the show or you might be able to get some maybe bonus shows maybe one that's posting this week maybe maybe a special one Mama K's in that episode, so it'll be exciting. All right, so thank you all again so much. We love you all. That'll be it for this week. I'm Kay. And I'm Warren. And this has been Tone Death. Death.